0: The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio, and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me.
2: You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice?
1: I don't
0: know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person.
2: I think you have a way of making
1: people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk.
0: You no, know, I was looking for a deeper answer.
1: Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept.
3: Yes. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend.
0: Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray.
1: Nice to have you with me on The Doctor Is In. This is Look Back Friday, a variant, the variants change on The Doctor Is In. This is an idea we came up with several years ago because part of it was my own frustration because I wanted to say so much more in so many of the calls, and obviously you can't. It's just an educating show. It's not a therapy show. But I did want to say a few more things, and sometimes that's prompted by a diagnosis that somebody brought up that I didn't have time to explain. Sometimes it's prompted by several other points I could have made. You you never know. You have to choose the direction you're going to go with the call. Much of the time it's directed by what the client, I shouldn't say client, I'm talking from a professional perspective, the caller wants. But some of the time it is what I hear the caller not saying. Boy, does that sound like psychobabble or doesn't it? So that's how we came up with the idea for Look Back Friday. Got certain calls that lend themselves particularly well to being commented on some more. Or to cut through all of this altruistic verbiage. I just want to say more. I just want to talk more. It's my show, so I get to talk more. So we'll get to those calls in a moment. I've often talked about reality always winning on this program. And for those folks who are at the front end of assessing a particular cultural, political trend against the tsunami of the general culture, they are oftentimes shut down, they are marginalized, they are viewed as out of touch. And then in a certain percentage of cases, fairly high one, I think, reality shows them correct. Now, back in the early days of the smartphone, uh, in 2012, according to a woman named Jean Twenge, who has done a lot of these kinds of generational studies, and she was studying the Zers. I don't know, why do they call them the Zers? I'm really the Zers. You know what I mean? I, I like a nap and I like to go to bed early. You know, 60 may be the new 40, but 9 is the new midnight. So I'm a zeer in that sense. I'm a real zeer. But she said that in 2012, that was the tipping point where more than 50% of adolescents had smartphones. And she noticed dramatic social changes in the kids' behaviors. First of all, she noticed that there was actually less socializing face-to-face among peers. They didn't get together as much. Why? Well, you could do it from your bedroom. Just kind of text and talk and do whatever. So the, the rise of technological communication led to a direct decline in personal. That makes sense. But since then, and this is heartening for me to see, more people are recognizing the deleterious effects of unlimited smartphone access, especially as a kid is younger. I saw a recent study that said the younger a kid gets a smartphone, the more likely they are to be depressed and to not like their life. So many parents have surrendered to these things out of fear, out of being bullied, out of, well, that's what everybody does, that's the social norm. So what they do is they say, okay, well, my kid at 13 will have a smartphone. And then when the ugliness hits, as it so very often does, they scramble to try to find a cause. This kid's living in a good home. This kid's living in a loving home. We thought we were normal. Why is my kid so depressed? Why is my kid so sneaky? Why are my kid's grades falling? Why is my kid so tired? All these things start to happen. Why did my son get into pornography? All of this. Now, I'm not blaming the parents. But I am saying that as the evidence is starting to come in, and it is. I saw a commercial. First time I saw a commercial like this. It said something to the effect, and I've seen it a number of times. Social media is hurting our children. And it chose to. And this, I, I find this fascinating. That this is what it chose. And I often said this. I said commercials. Commercials have ulterior motives besides selling a product these days. They showed a little girl who was 12 or 13 getting all excited as she got her first smartphone. She was just so excited. And then, in a very devastatingly effective series of of quick shorts, they showed how she had gotten into social media and gotten into the the self-image of being skinny. Really skinny, really, really, really skinny. And of course, now this is another thing that's coming to light, is that these algorithms are designed that if your kid goes a certain place, more places are going to pop up on their phone of a similar type. That's how they do this. they got to keep you engaged. they got to sell product. This is a business. They are marketing to your kids and you. So what happens is that this little girl, they show a progression of her through her social media embracement, through her searches... Getting into an eating disorder. I find it fascinating that they chose eating disorder as the pathology that they wanted to focus on, when in fact, that's not the main one. The main one is depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, social retreat, self image. Those are all big. Big. But they chose that. Well, it's a start, I guess. Gender confusion. There is research that indicates the more time a child spends on social media, the higher the chances they're going to have some gender confusion, especially if they're predisposed. It's a given. They end the commercial with something to the effect that it's time to protect our kids from social media. Well, that's a good message. It's a good message. I saw a recent survey said 50% of those teens surveyed Are unhappy with their life. What does social media do? Look at me! Look at me! Look how pretty I am! Because you can have filters, you can make yourself look like anything on social media. You can make yourself look gorgeous. Look at me! Look at what I'm doing! Look at my look at my wedding coming up! Everything is about me, all of it. And then the average kid who has an average life can't compete with that. That's another world or the chasing for likes the chasing for hearts the chasing for applause it's like a sticker system on steroids more accolation more 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 accolades that's what they search for and ultimately you get frustrated because you can't relentlessly challenge reality reality is most people's lives are just normal So what's happening here? Well, adults can't fight the algorithms. It's amazing what my phone knows about me. They don't just know my name, rank, and serial number. They know my preferences. And they throw things into my feed or whatever it is that I have to look at to keep up with what's going on out there. They throw things at me. How did they they know that? They knew it now with kids you can protect them from that I'm an adult I look at that and say see what they're doing very 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 profitable that's exactly right engagement is the word they want me on that phone as long as possible because that's their goal that's how they make money and they're doing that with your kid see you're gonna be forced into making a decision here you're gonna have to decide if that phone is more damaging to your child's welfare, then not having one would be damaging to her relationship with you and her overall contentment. That's the decision you're going to have to make. Because kids are very good at making you feel like you're isolating me. I can't talk to my friends. I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. you got to give me that. They're very good at that. <laughs> Funny. 15 years ago that wasn't an issue you had friends you didn't contact your friends through technological ways someone might say well Dr. E but, but it's, just, it's, a, it's a good thing it's a venue for kids to connect it is but here's the problem adolescents have an excessive streak they don't generally keep things in balance so they're still on that phone at 11 o'clock at night up in their bedroom, so they go to school tired and exhausted. Or they take that phone to school, and if they're allowed to have it in a classroom, it buzzes. They use it to cheat. They take pictures of the tests, and they give it to the next class. They sell it to the next class. you got to understand human nature, fallen human nature. We're going to do what's in our best interest for the moment that's why grown-ups teach kids so that's the decision facing most parents how long do I hold off and what will be the results if I hold off but I will share this with you most kids adjust most kids come to the conclusion if it's not going to happen it's not going to happen and they move on with life and perhaps for me the most distressing thing is to hear how many unhappy anxious teens there are when physiologically speaking those years are years of zest they're years of high energy they're years of laughing and giggling they are they are years of zeal upbeat naturally something very powerful, has to be taking that from him. I'm Dr. Ray.
0: Anybody who goes to a psychoanalyst ought to have his head examined, <laughs> so let's examine ours.
2: I'll send you my consultation fee.
0: The doctor is in. The doctor is in. The doctor will be with you in just a moment.
4: Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child?
2: the wisdom of mother angelica have you ever been so grief stricken and so heart sick that you can't see god you can't see god in the tragedy you can't see god in that cross you can't see god in that sick why you're enveloped in that grief you're enveloped in fear and god is out the window you don't see him standing right next to you
5: ewtn
1: live truth live catholic underwritten in
5: part by the following nonprofit. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, teach me to pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, teach me to pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com.
3: God bless you, Dr. Ray. You've changed a lot of lives for the better, my friend, and keep at it. I, I feel honored just to be able to spend a little bit of time with you.
1: Oh, cool. Play some cool stuff. you got to have the big base vial to have cool. This Look Back Friday, go to a call. This is Alvin from Illinois. He's dating a widow. So someone might ask, well, what's the question marks about that?
3: I'm in a relationship, well, kind of a, we hit a rocky spot, and I'd like it to be a long-term relationship, but I don't know if it ever will. I broke the lady's trust, but there's there's a lot of hurdles if we were to... work it out but she has some issues from her childhood that uh she she shared with me a time or two and uh maybe three times and the story and uh she says she you know she's very strong and she's very uh, i'm I'm spur of the moment kind of guy she's, she's methodical plans everything out she says she stuffs it but she the way she dealt with it all her life is just stuff it down and and every now and then she'll get triggered or something and she, she said she had not share with many people, but she shared with me, and we, we we had a really special relationship for a little while. It was a fairly new one, but I, I don't know. I just want to
1: stuff's coming how out. How I can stuff best, is come stuff's coming stuff is coming out that's making you nervous.
3: No, it's making her stuff came out from me that made her nervous. But I just want to know how to su- best support her and be her friend. We want to be friends. She wants to be friends, and I want to be friends. I want to be more than friends, but I want to know how to support her, and I don't know.
1: How old is she, sir? Sixty-three.
3: Sixty-three.
1: Do you think it's unusual that someone at age 63 is still pinning her struggles on her childhood? No.
3: I mean, well, yeah. I, I don't know. I've done the same thing in a way in a roundabout way we've shared some some more experiences
1: uh, when when do you think see, it's reasonable it's not, for a person to try to get beyond them she well
3: the thing see, she seems she seems to be beyond them but, but just the last time she told me about it it, it occurred to me that maybe not
1: maybe not and no, I, she, not,
2: seems, to she, I, I, she seems to be beyond oh, them because Lord she hasn't
3: she
1: seems to be beyond them because she hasn't told you about them but then, when she told you about them, uh, is it safe to say that she is pinning a lot of her current distress or whatever it is that is bothering her because she says I had this this ugliness in my childhood?
3: There, there's some. There, I'm sure there's some of that. Yeah, that she, I did, I did. We we got a little closer than just discovery, and uh, I did, I did hurt her very badly uh and it, it was it looked like it was over com- completely what, what, what
1: exactly I don't want to get into too many details here album but what did you say that she reacted that strongly to
3: i i she asked me a question about the faith and i I told her that I told her something that i, I convinced myself that it was the answer I gave her was going to be okay when I knew and and a couple of weeks later I knew and i i, I Misled her. The answer I gave her was wrong, and I, know, I knew it, but I convinced myself that it was right at the moment.
1: Okay, so well, I got two questions there. I don't want to. I don't want to push this out too far. I got two questions. All right. So you gave her some bad information. No big deal. You tell her later. I gave you some bad information. Now, doesn't it strike you as odd? That she would still be upset about that, rather than saying, "Oh, okay, well, I'm glad to hear that you cleared that up." That's the first thing. Well, why didn't she do that?
3: Well, it was it was bigger than it was big.
1: All right, here's what here's what I see, Alvin. I I I know we we get into a lot of details, and you're being very cryptic. Yes. Here's what I see. I don't think you can go wrong by getting to know this woman a lot more before you make any commitment. Yeah. Because if she's overreactive or she's saying, I've really got issues from 52 years ago, then you got to see how this plays out. I personally get very nervous when somebody's in their 60s and they're pointing to the fact that I am the way I am because of when I was 12.
3: Yeah. I get a little nervous about yeah. that. I've not been clear enough, Dr. Ray. I, I, don't, I don't get that sense from
1: her. All right. It's just well, maybe you're getting that sense a, from you. Maybe you're saying, "Yeah, yeah no, I'm kind of, I'm kind of locked into that past." It could be. That could, yeah. All right. yeah. Uh, my advice, your album. Just uh, take uh, it. Just take it slow. I'm gonna let you go. Just take it slow. Take it slow, and uh, you can get to know her all you want. But keep your eyes open and recognize that uh, that's why you take time in these things to get to know the other person, and stuff comes out from you and from them that you say to yourself well maybe this relationship's just going to be a friendly one and it isn't gonna progress toward marriage a not uncommon scenario in my office is that a person will describe a relationship kinda like Alvin did where there were a lot of open-ended questions I would have And as I asked the questions, I couldn't get some consistency in the picture. It just didn't seem to fit. Something was missing. Something critical to understanding what was going on was not there. Three minutes before the session is to end, I might hear... Well, there is one thing I probably should tell you, and that changes the whole complexion of what I just heard the previous near hour. Now I got that sense in talking to Alan. He used the word "broke trust." He said that. He said, "I broke her trust. And I'm thinking, okay, he must, have done, he must have done something physical, some way. Well, it turned out as he talked further, this breaking of trust was giving her a wrong answer to some faith question that she had. So my question to him, which obviously we didn't get into because I didn't want to go off in too many directions, was why did she get so angry at a wrong answer? Did you step on a nerve? Did you step on something that she took personally that the church would teach that? Or she thought the church would teach that? Or you thought that? Why Why did she react so strongly? When you went back and corrected it, was there a sense of relief? Or was there a sense of, you should have never said that to begin with? And if the, if the sense was, you should have never said that to begin with, that makes me nervous. Now, he also said that she didn't, well, he said she did, and then didn't have reverberations from her childhood and as I said on the call I get nervous when 50 years later someone is saying well I'm still this way that they haven't laid that the rest they haven't gotten past that they haven't used their adult resources to move on with life that somehow some way they're still connected dr. Ray. Dr. E, you're you're not being sensitive. No, I want people to live a better life, a happier life, a more content life, a more God-seeking life. And if you're locked into stuff in the past that you really had no control over, you've got to get past that. Well, there's just closure. I need closure. Sometimes you can't get closure. That's reality. But then he said something interesting too. He said, we had a very special relationship. then he qualified. Well, it was fairly new. Well, sure, sure. In a fairly new relationship, you don't know the other person. It's pretty easy to impugn to them qualities that you like. Of course, we all do that. It's the old, oh, he's really a nice guy. Well, how do you know him? Oh, I was talking to him by the car for 20 minutes. We do this. So, Early on in a relationship, instead of having appropriate kind of caution, we extrapolate to nicer stuff. I, I, I want to make a couple more comments about this, then we'll go to a, another call. I'm Dr. A. This is the Doctor is in. This is Look Back Friday.
6: with Teresa Tomio, The AP is now saying that news people cannot refer to pregnancy resource centers as pregnancy resource centers or crisis pregnancy centers. They have to refer to them as anti-abortion centers because we're misleading the public by saying that they're offering resources, apparently. It is about consistently putting forth a culture of death, do anything you want sexually, being extremely woke every time you turn around. This is more proof that all they care about is their own agenda. And they're doing this to their own demise. If you look at the ratings, for example, of CNN, if you look at the subscription rates, right, of various newspapers, whether it's online or still hard copy and in print, continuing to decrease. And yet they do not care because it's about the agenda. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9 a.m.
2: Eastern on EWTN Radio.
6: How are the people of God, the Church, related to religions who have yet to receive the gospel? According to the Catholic Catechism, the Church is linked to the Jewish religion. The Jews were the first to hear the word of God. The Jewish faith is already a response to God's revelation in the Old Covenant. To the Jews belong the patriarchs, the sonship, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Of their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. For the gifts, says the catechism, and the call of God are irrevocable. The Muslims are related to the church in that they acknowledge the Creator, profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. The church's bond with other non-Christian religions stems from the common belief in the origin and end of the human race, which in both cases is our creator God. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
1: Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ray Randy. This is Look Back Friday. I'd like to apologize for those of you who did not hear the previous Look Back call. A gentleman was calling in about a widow that he's been dating, and it sounded like they were both older. And uh, there was some things coming out in the relationship where he wasn't sure what to pursue because um, he said he broke her trust, and it turns out that he broke her trust because he gave her a wrong answer about the Catholic faith. He he was cryptic about what that was. He didn't say but he said it was big. So it was either big because she took it as some kind of insult or judgmentalness upon her and the way she was living her life. And my guess, my guess would be that it had something to do with the, either her personality or her physical relationship or her moral view of life. I don't know. But to be big, as he called it, it had to step on some kind of personal nerve. The... The thing that probably makes me more unsettled is the fact that she reacted that way. Why would that be? And there was confusion regarding, is her childhood still affecting her or isn't it? Now he said, she said it doesn't. But then she talked about it. And she told him all about it. So was that just to share information? Or was that saying, I want you to understand why I am the way I am or who I am because of those years? He also said that she said she stuffs it, which means she isn't dealing with it, which means she hasn't resolved it. If you stuff it, you just ignore it. But then you see the problem with ignoring something is it tends to poke its head in there every so often, especially when you're under situations of stress. I would say that this new relationship is a situation of stress, not in the traditional sense, like an ugly stress, but it's a change and changes can be stressful. So she's in this new relationship. She's wondering where it's going to go. She's wondering about her own personality. Probably he's wondering about his and he thinks he made a giant miscue in answering her faith question wrong, which should have been relatively easy to clear up, when he came back and said, "I gave you a wrong answer." Now, if they were, in, if he was in therapy with me, I'd say, "What exactly did you say? How did she
2: react?"
1: That was big. That was big on how she reacted because that's going to tell you a lot. And then, how did she react when you corrected it? Was it oh? Okay, well, that's good to hear. Or was it skepticism? Or upset that she got the wrong answer the first time? What was it? Because that will give you a little insight into how disagreements might be dealt with. All right, let's move on to another call ago. Uh, Mike got in trouble.
2: He called his neighbor, honey. Ooh,
1: man, that's a sin now.
2: I was having a discussion with my neighbor about how their yard, their new house is flooding my yard and my garden. And she wasn't hearing me. And I was getting a little more upset that she wasn't listening. And then she she started saying, you know, why are you so angry? And that's when the honey came out. How'd you phrase it? I said, I can't remember how I put it. Dr. A, but it was to the effect that, listen, honey, your yard is flooding my garden. Uh, and how tried ba- to dismiss it. How dare you be so demeaning? Well, she she stopped me. She said, did you just call me honey? I said, yes. You know, so it, it was already a little ramped up at that point.
1: Well, yeah, of course it was. And anyway, she was already ticked at you because she just didn't like the fact that it's interesting. You know, now you correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't go over in a hostile, accusatory way. You just said, this is what's happening. And she didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, okay, we're going to see what we
2: can do to fix this. No, she got mad at you, right? No, I, and, and that's what I wanted to warn her. I said, I'm going to redirect the water that flows through here, and it'll pro- it's probably going to you know, wash some of your gravel away that she had installed. So, you know, I was trying to warn her that that could happen.
3: How old and is this uh, young lady?
2: It. How old is she? She's forty-five. I'm sixty-four. Okay. So I was trying to be as gentle as I could. Little more A little more information. Four years ago, her husband attacked me in my face. Said the you know the Pope was really evil and blah blah blah. He hasn't talked to me in four years.
1: It's kind of telling you Although something about I, him, I, isn't it, Mike? Doesn't I, sound like they're is, very pleasant, tolerant people.
2: Well, he hasn't talked to me in four years, and and I've made dozens of times to say, Hi, Tino. Hello, Tino. And, and, and he'll he just, just give me a brief hi. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, and Mike, some, give it up. Yeah. Give it up. But do I need to go over and apologize. I mean, love your neighbor. Well, if you see her, you can say, Hey,
1: I meant nothing by saying, honey, but I see that you got offended, so I'm sorry. But you and know... I But prov- yeah. Mike, I'll tell you what. I As I get older, I am just so... <sighs> Disgusted is too strong a word, but people who get upset because you use a word they don't like You know, I went to the airport in Alabama and the ticket lady says thanks, baby Just like that. I smiled at her. I didn't say I'm not your baby. I'm a grown man What what does that say? about a person's self-confidence that they have to get bent out of shape because you used a word they didn't like and they thought you were putting them down by using it you sexist the first thing is that when you use honey now that is a communicative social sin you can't do it you get in trouble i got in trouble on this radio show for it you know i say well thank you dear and then somebody emails me and says, yeah, I don't like when you call your callers there. Okay, well, I'm old enough now I can get away with it, maybe. But, you know, the cultural language police are always on the lookout, hyper vigilant, that you might say something that just runs afoul of the new rules. That's one. But he... <laughs> I got a feeling if we'd have talked for any length of time, Mike would have told me about a pretty friction-filled relationship with these neighbors. And so this runoff of her gravel was one of the last straws. And when he said, listen, honey, oh, that was it. Oh, my gosh, that was it. Did you just call me honey? In other words, how dare you demean me? Yep, yeah, he got in trouble for that. He can apologize, uh, and that would be a good thing to do, but uh, don't expect it to make anything better. That's one thing about apologies. You do it because it's the right thing to do. You don't do it because you are hoping for a guarantee things will improve. Uh, But it's clear they don't like him. Uh, They don't like his religion. And for whatever the reason, the guy attacked his religion, and then I don't know what Mike said back. I don't know what kind of disagreement they got into, but the guy decided, you're not worth talking to. Uh, Be very careful, even in in superficial social situations. Do I have enough time for this? uh, It's going to ring? Maybe it's not. Okay, maybe my clock corrected itself. I was walking down the hall many, many years ago, walking down the hall. I'll say this when I come back, and then we'll go to a call. I'm Dr. Rick.
4: while mary's not mentioned as often as moses not mentioned as often as peter or paul her role in scripture is even more significant she's absolutely unique there are many prophets there are many apostles but there's only one god bearer there are a lot of people who proclaim the word of god there's only one woman who bore the word of god quite literally within her she's utterly unique in that she literally transmits the word of god to the world so when the word of god wanted to take on human flesh whose human flesh did he choose it was mary's she donated out of her own life substance the flesh of jesus the body prepared for christ is taken from the blessed mother nobody else in salvation history occupies such a role.
2: cresta in the afternoon weekdays at 4 eastern on ewtn radio
6: 60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope.
2: The Eighth Commandment. You shall not
4: bear false witness against your neighbor. At one level, the reputation a person has is one of their most precious gifts, and to intentionally harm the good reputation of someone is a very grave matter. We can do this often through detraction, by disclosing others' faults without a valid reason, or calumny, just outright lying about other people, likewise through rash judgment. This commandment also protects the truth, which is another very, very great good. To lie is to speak something that we know is false with the intention of deceiving others. We ought to be dedicated to the truth. It is the truth that sets people free, while errors and lies entrap people in many difficult and often sinful situations. The Lord asks us to give witness to the truth of the gospel. This commandment, therefore, asks us to stay dedicated to the truth and to other people's reputation. The eighth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor.
6: For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com.
1: Nice to have you with me I wanted to just put a postscript on that call about language sensitivity that now dominates our interaction this was many years ago I was working in a mental health center and two of my colleagues younger younger probably 30 ish were coming down the hallway I was walking the other direction I said good morning ladies now you'd think is that reasonably safe to say? Uh-uh, uh-uh. I immediately received. I don't see ladies here, like whoa, 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 whoa. And by the way, these were counselors. So I'm wondering myself: Are you that hypersensitive? And you're counseling people to be easier going in life? Oh yeah, yo. Well, as it turned out later, there were some personal issues regarding this particular counselor. However, I I was just flummoxed. This is thirty some years ago. This is this is even before the language police now dominate every way we talk. But it was happening even then, even then, even then. Okay, what do we got? Let's see. Looking at that. John's calling from New York. Uh, he's struggling these days, as as some are, to find friends.
5: So my question today is about just, I guess, what you've seen in your in like your practice and your at your advice. But um, when I was in high school, college, I've had a big friend group, and as I got older, I'm I'm 32 right now. Um, a lot of my friends have kind of gone by the wayside. Um, I kind of see it in lots of people too. Um, and my only like real social interaction is with people at work. And I, I see some people kind of going to like, you know, they have like a kickball team or like, uh, they'll, they'll do some kind of like activity and some people kind of like force themselves to do it just to kind of have like a friend, you know, just just to have that camaraderie. Um, it, that doesn't really work for me. I I don't want to force myself to do something I don't want to do. And, um, you know, I, I find that when I'm with my coworkers after work, it's not really like a friendship, but more so just like an acquaintance, and I kind of have to, like, provide this outer shell of, like, that's acceptable. But I remember my older friends, it was more organic. We kind of just talked about whatever. Um, I'm just trying to try get your your take on this.
1: You are touching into a number of principles of social psychology. First of all, You made the observation that the people at work are the ones that you could hang around with now, although they seem more like friendly acquaintances. Father Benedict Rochelle said a great line. He said, most of the people who crisscross our lives can be called temporary associates or friendly acquaintances. Friends are much fewer and farther between. Okay, there's one. Two, do you know what social psychology says is the number one factor in forming friendships? Uh, no. Proximity. Hmm. I went to school with you. I play on the same ball team with you. I go to church with you. I work with you. Proximity. You're my neighbor, next door neighbor. Proximity. Because you get to know the person. Now, what you're experiencing is proximity doesn't mean that you can connect with these people in an emotional or religious or deep way, correct?
5: On on occasion, yeah. Definitely. Definitely.
1: I found, and I'm old enough to look back on my life, and I found that I had very, very different groups of friends, depending upon what phase in my life. At, At my 40th birthday party... I look back on who all was there and with the exception of my family, almost no one from my 40th birthday party is still an active part of my life. Virtually no one. I look at the groomsmen in my wedding with the exception of my brother and one friend. I, none of them. They're gone. So I think you're experiencing a natural process how do you find friends it's going to come down to one the proximity will put you in contact with people that you can share a deeper relationship with i got guys that i play ball with that i'm still very very close friends with matter of fact they're some of my closest friends we don't play ball together anymore you may find that you will will come across people somehow some way you'll come across them But the amount of close friends that pretty much anybody has is a handful, if that. That's reality. In college, yeah, I knew 27 different guys I hung around with in college. I don't see any of them anymore. Hmm. It's none. Gotcha. You know, that's that's kind of the ebb and flow of social relationships. You know, I do have a, a handful of guys from my 20s that I'm still friends with and close friends with. But that, that they were up there. That's a 2%, 1%. What happens to these friendships? Geography is a big one. Many people that I knew uh, were friends with, they moved. They went out of state. They had job transfers. Perhaps they had a broken marriage and went in a different direction. So geography is one. Life circumstances is another. For years, I would go out with guys after games, we'd go get something to eat, and we'd hang around, big bunch of us all the time. After that shared activity of playing ball and socializing after the ball games ended, for the most part, our lives went in different directions. It's the way it is. Right now, I still play ball, and I got a bunch of guys that I'm, I'm friendly with on the ball team, but I know as soon as I'm done, those friendships aren't going to go anywhere. Because there's nothing other than that activity that connects us. And by the way, that's more often the case with guys than with females. Can I say female? Is that okay? I was looking for the word to say. I was going to say ladies, and I thought, ooh, maybe better not say ladies. So that's the first thing. The second thing is many friendships are spontaneous. He, he, he might called his friendships in college organic. He said you know, he implied they just sort of spontaneously grew I don't know totally about that I think they were geographic first proximity first and then he saw commonalities in those friendships so I think that's really what's going to happen he's going to associate with somebody at church join a Bible study join some particular group a book study something where he can connect with other people And it sort of just spontaneously occurs that you go out to eat afterwards with a bunch and there's a certain guy you're sitting and talking to and you're relating pretty well to him. And one thing leads to another and you you go out again. All that stuff happens. I think part of Mike's frustration was when you're in high school or college, your social circle is huge. It's an inch deep, but it's huge. There's a lot of it. But as you get older things start to winnow away the connections. My wife did her master's thesis on familial relations over the course of a lifetime. And what she found was that initially when siblings were under the same roof or shortly thereafter, most were close. As they began to diverge in their life paths perhaps moved perhaps one had children and one didn't Uh there was a a movement apart like two rivers that were heading in different directions and then interestingly enough she found that after the child rearing was done after the other immediate demands on life subsided there was a coming together of many siblings in their later years. I saw this with my cousin, my cousin Rich. He's passed away now. My cousin Rich and I were very close. He was seven years older than me, and he beat the snot out of me in every game we ever played, which was good for me. But Rich was my cousin. He, he was so close to me. And when he went to college, I was, I, was, I was saddened, but then when he'd come back, we'd get together. And he was 22 and I was 15, and, and he was good to me that way. And then Rich got into his family, and then later I got into mine. And for the most part, our contact was maybe a family gathering here and there. And then after Rich's kids were grown and after mine were grown, Rich and I started to go to breakfast again. We started to invite family members to breakfast again, family members that we too had not seen during that period of time. And we got very close again. Rich was my good buddy till he passed away and that was hard I was probably the closest relative other than a parent or grandparent that I've had pass away but that reflected a lot of what happens in friendships demands currents of life geography proximity can move you apart and then with time you can come back together particularly with family members but with friends it's not quite as easy because there isn't a natural connection from the past but You almost have to expose yourself. and I don't use that in any kind of sexual way. I mean, put yourself in circumstances where you will connect with other people. Whatever it is. Coffee and donuts after church. Go sit at the table sipping your coffee and somebody come over. Is this seat taken? No. That's the way you do it. That's how it organically happens. I'm Dr. Ray.
4: I'm Dr. Greg Popcheck, And I'm
6: Lisa Popcheck from More to Life.
5: Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas?
6: Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent.
5: In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you.
6: And it's free. Just register at catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar. See you there.
1: Very short period of time here. No more time for another call on this Look Back Friday. So I want to go to C.S. Lewis. I like C.S. I call him C.S. Because it reminds me of C.S. Which is something I'm really enjoying these days. He says courage is not simply one of the virtues. But the form of every virtue at its testing point. Chastity, or honesty, or mercy, which yields to danger, will be chaste, or honest, or merciful, only on conditions. And then he gave this line to illustrate. Pilate was merciful. I find no fault in this man until it became risky you see what he's saying he's saying if you don't have the courage the strength to be merciful or chaste then the conditions will dictate whether you are many people are religious until it becomes inconvenient many people will follow church's teaching on morality regarding sexuality or regarding marriage or regarding contraception until it becomes the testing point and then according to CS Lewis that's where the virtue breaks down he makes the point courage makes these virtues unconditional without courage They are conditional. They depend upon the challenge of the moment. I can have a tolerance toward a relative until that relative once again says or does something irritating or insulting. Where does my tolerance then go? Went away. Why? <laughs> because I didn't have the resolve to keep that virtue up. <laughs> I had it. I had it there for a while, as long as they didn't do it again. But as soon as they did it again, the conditions changed, and I didn't have the courage of my conviction. On one hand, I would say, "Well, I'm very tolerant. Very tolerant toward them. Yes, I put up with a lot. I'm very tolerant." Until they do it again. Then, when they do it again. What happened to my tolerance? It's a virtue, isn't it? Tolerance. Or at the very least, to be charitable about it. But then, then that happened. Where did my charitable go? Where did my tolerance go? I didn't have the courage to do it. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at its testing point. (laughs) Lewis is bright. This is Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here. Doctor is in. Andrew Kruchek, the producer man, who dubs and edits all these previous calls. I thank him so very much. He makes it run. And I thank you. Walk with God and stay courageous in that walk.
2: You shall be rewarded.
1: Infinitely, God says
0: for information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.